Hi everyone, today we're looking at accounts of the first vision given by Joseph Smith. Uh, whether you're listening to this before or after lesson, hopefully it will give you a bit more information than what we're able to cover in the time we have in our lesson together. A bit of background, a bit more summary, a bit of context, and also just to kind of address or reinforce or re-emphasize some of the, the key points about uh, the idea that when you tell a story numerous times over many years, and especially if some of those accounts are being written down by people and it's what they remember being said at the time or what they're able to write down at the time which we know is is not always entirely accurate you do get differences and we'll talk about why that's absolutely fine but also why some people might find that challenging so most information i'm going to give you today can be found by going to the josephsmithpapers.org website and going to the accounts of the first vision section and of course on this site you can find um, pictures of handwritten notes, handwritten accounts, as well as transcripts, so you can read it for yourself. You can also find information about this in the uh, Seminary and Institute Manual, or the Institute Manual rather, which is on the Gospel Library app. And uh, if you look at uh, the Teacher Manual in particular, it has some of the, of the material that I'll be giving out in lesson. So, first of all, let's just cover really briefly because we're going to discuss this more in lesson. Why do people find it hard when they find out, as if it's some great secret, that there's more than one version of the first vision? And I think it's just that initial idea that when we, we hear something we didn't know, that we think we should have known, or we think is significant, because, hey, the first vision is significant for Latter-day Saints, then that can knock them a bit. And it can make them feel like maybe, well, why didn't someone tell me this? Well, the answer in this case is very simple. Um, we have a, a, an authorised standard version that's printed in the Pearl of Great Price that actually came out a book of church history, okay, a six-volume history of the church. And so we tend just to go to that because that's the standard, that's the one that's canonised, okay? And it's no particular secret that there are different versions or, uh, you know, accounts 1832, 1835, 1842, the main ones that were actually dictated by Joseph Smith himself. So I think it's just that not knowing. But similarly, you know, unless you want to sit down and read the various histories of the church and you know get into historical archives, uh, which up until the last five years, even 10 years tops, just really weren't that easily or readily available. Then, yeah, you just have what you have in your scriptures to hand. And that's what you become familiar with. So there's a little bit there about us being fair and, and intellectually honest about really what's going on here so that, talking of which then the big question becomes well, why are there different accounts the short answer is that when you tell a story you're going to include different details emphases um, application depending on who you're talking to so i always give you an example i was a school teacher and uh, if a student got into trouble at school the version that i gave <laughs> the version uh you know that the student gave and then the version they gave to their friends versus the version version that they gave to their their parents and the version they gave to the head of year if they got in trouble um you know what i mean like that would not quite be the same and i've had that you know i've got kids go to school and something's happened and they give me a very different version and that's because you obviously your audience and how much time you have and what the purpose of telling that story is will change and dictate what details you include. Now, 
we also do that with other things. If I say uh, I had a, a big night out with some friends and it was crazy and we were out, you know, I'm probably not going to tell my, my grandma the same details I'm going to say to my, my best mate, right? And actually in 10 years' time, in five years' time, I look back on that big night out, going around, maybe doing some laser quests, nothing too crazy, but Latter-day Saints after all. I'm probably going to remember specific details that, that maybe I wouldn't have necessarily focused on at the time, but became more important, such as a friend who was there, who then became a great friend later on. But at the time, maybe I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, and, and John was there or Bobby. And then but later on, it's like, oh, Bobby, remember that night out we had when actually maybe they weren't part of the, the main scene at the time. So things do change depending on our, our experience and our recollection. And what those memories then come to mean to us. And in Joseph Smith's case, he went into that grove of trees to pray about his own soul and salvation. Okay, he didn't go in there with some master plan to take over the Christian world, you know, or anything like that. He was just praying, where do I stand with you, God? Because I'm partial to, you know, a particular branch, a particular Christianity, but I'm not sure it's right. You know, what shall I do? And actually... Is my soul in danger if I get baptized in the wrong church? Right? Those kind of questions. So later on, as he becomes called the prophet and uh, establishes the church in 1830, and then when he's telling the first vision story, actually what's more important for the people, the thing that stands out amongst all the many things that were said, maybe it's not about him anymore. And so maybe the, especially when it comes to a history of the church, his prayer in that grove was important for the history of the church from the perspective of, uh, of setting the church apart or the idea of setting up the church, which, which even then again, wasn't particularly stated as you will now go and set the church up, but just you'll be an instrument, right? So it had a different meaning for his audience than what it did when he was just that 14 year old boy who went out to pray for his own soul. So over a period of many years and with different audiences and reflecting on what the actual significance of that event was, yeah, what he would say to different people when they asked him might be slightly different. It would be different for a member of the church versus a non-member of the church because, again, he's trying to impress upon them a particular point. Okay, so that's fundamentally the, the reason why you have some subtle differences. Um, ultimately, what we have is the history of the church or a portion of it uh, within the Pearl of Great Price. And there are three then other accounts that we might then include as being recorded by Joseph Smith or under his direction, the words he dictated them. And so they're, they're pretty accurate in terms of what he said. There's not like to be many errors. There might be the odd word here or there. If you ever try to write something down when someone's speaking at normal speaking uh, speed, there will inevitably be a couple of minor errors. But generally pretty accurate so the first then was in the summer of 1832 and it's the earliest and most personal account and the only one that includes joseph smith's own handwriting which again you can see on josephsmithpapers.org and it's he just it's a couple of bits from this i'll quote he says you know i cried unto the lord for mercy for there was none else to whom i could go and obtain mercy and the lord heard my cry in the wilderness so again this is very personal and it's about a young boy he says, my soul was filled with love. Um, lovely. And that was very much a personal thing. So that's Joseph Smith kind of uh, reciting his history there. OK. And then you get another one, which is a journal entry, November 
9 to 11, uh, 9th to 11th, 1835. So this is some three years later. And he's, uh, he's writing about his experiences. And he, his description was written down by Warren Parrish. And he was describing this to a visitor at his home in Kirtland, right? And it was then later copied into Joseph Smith's journal. Um, so uh, there is a lightly edited copy of the same account as well, uh, included in a history. But nonetheless, it, it's a somebody explaining to a visitor. Okay. A um, little bit shorter because the visitor doesn't need to know all the ins and outs of everything. There's so he doesn't have a great amount of context. And so he says, and I'll read the whole thing because it's quite short. It says, I called on the Lord in mighty prayer. A pillar of fire appeared above my head. It, pres it presently rested down upon me and filled me with joy unspeakable. A personage appeared in the midst of this pillar of flame, which was spread all around and yet nothing consumed. Another personage soon appeared like unto the first. He said unto me, thy sins are forgiven thee. He testified unto me that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And I saw many angels in this vision. And what some of the people who are antagonistic towards the church would do is say, oh, that's different. Because in the Joseph Smith history in uh, Pellegrin Price says, and two persons appeared. Well, actually, this count says the same thing. It just, they appeared, but this one says that one appeared after the other. They both appeared still. So I think the problem is when you try and split hairs like that, when you try and trick people up with their words, that's disingenuous. And I don't think it's fair or true to what the account is actually saying. OK, in the Joseph Smith history for the history of the church, the main thing is that God, the Father and Jesus Christ appeared to young Joseph Smith. Right. That's the key message. Um, and in this one, he just focuses on uh, the joy that he feels and the his sins being forgiven. So, again, that's a very personal thing, which if you're speaking to a visitor in your home, somebody who's interested in the church, maybe is you know, interested in what the church is about, that personal message that you as an individual as well can receive forgiveness of your sins, that's a powerful message. Okay, that's a powerful message to give to another person one-to-one. -one. Um, and then you've got uh, church history, March the 1st. It's called the Wentworth Letter. And... There's a brief history of the church, which was prepared at the request of the new Chicago newspaper editor. You um, think about also the Articles of Faith as part of this. Okay. And it's not known how much Joseph Smith was involved in writing this, but it was published with his signature. So it may have been that the, 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 it says the account borrowed language from Orson Pratt. So in other words, somebody may have well written this for Joseph Smith and he signed it and said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But actually it's somebody else preparing that as you do, as you would do, especially in those times when you had scribes and people that were writing down things and writing things on your behalf. So again, there's some really minor um, differences, but more so an emphasis on the idea of different religious denominations and there not being one of them that was acknowledged by God as his church and kingdom. So um, it's about the audience. It's about the intention. It's about what the Wentworth letter was trying to do, which was to show normal, ordinary members of the public what the church was about. Uh, and so you get a different emphasis. Now, there were some other uh, accounts that were written by Joseph Smith's contemporaries. They wrote down what they either heard him say or what they recollected him saying. 
Um, Orson Pratt being predominant amongst those. I think he was who the first person to actually publish uh, an account of Joseph's first vision. That was in 1840. It was for a pamphlet in Scotland. So again, this is as a missionary tract, as a missionary tool uh, in Scotland. Um, he also writes in German in 1842, Ein Hof aus der which is uh, a cry from the wilderness. And it was, of course, translated into German for this publication. And you can also get Levi Richards, who wrote in his own journal on the 11th of June, 1843. There'd been a public church meeting. And Joseph Smith had spoken about his earliest vision. And, of course, this gets included in the diary. Now, again, what we'll find is that people who are antagonistic towards the church will say, oh, there's a different version of it. Well, if I actually get up in five different meetings and then tell a story from memory or just from speaking off the top of your head without any notes or reading verbatim, or even if you had written those notes for five different meetings, you would probably say slightly different things. You'd include details, you'd miss a few bits out, you'd emphasize certain things. So another uh, version, uh, another account rather, comes from an interview with Joseph Smith by David Nye White for the Pittsburgh Weekly Gazette, a newspaper. Um, it was published under the article heading The Prairies, Joe Smith, The Temple, The Mormons, and so on. And this is in August 1843. And he was actually the editor of the Pittsburgh Weekly Gazette. And he interviewed Joseph Smith in his home as part of a two-day stop in Nauvoo, Illinois. And it was this newspaper article included the account of the first vision. And what's really interesting here, uh, which again just highlights the, the idea that as you as you tell a story, you will put it into your own words and some of your language may change. Um, he says, I then addressed the second person saying, oh, Lord, what church shall I join? He replied, don't join any of them. They are all corrupt. So what's interesting here is that he's kind of paraphrasing at this point. OK, rather than give the whole big, long spiel, he's getting to the point. He's saying, look, none of the churches upon the earth are correct. And I think that's really interesting that um, that when we tell stories or when we repeat things, we often give versions of it. I've been known to rossify a story by putting in words that the the other person would never have said, but that I would say, right? And uh, especially if it's kind of slang terms or if I'm just trying to make the point. And so for this interview, for this newspaper article, Joe Smith gives a, a fairly um, detailed uh, version of accounts. But um, it's very much very colloquial. It's very much just chatting one guy to another in the sense of, uh, he says, I'll tell you about it. There's a reformation among the different religion, religious denominations in the neighborhood where I lived. And I became serious and desirous to know what church to join. So again, he's talking kind of very, very much just giving a summary of the, of the key points there. So again, that's another account that Joe Smith gave uh, with a wider audience where he was just trying to get the main point across. And finally, you get Alexander Neibauer, who is a German immigrant and church member. And he visits Joe Smith and he heard him relate the circumstances of his earliest visionary experience there. And again, this is a, somebody who's a member of the church, but who's migrated. They, they speak a different language as their mother tongue. OK. And so, again, you get this. Most of the details are very similar but you get a bit of a, a focus on what you would say to an individual. So, for example, he says, um, um, the other person came to the side of the first Mr. Smith and asked 
Must I join the Methodist Church? No, they're not my people. All have gone astray. So again, nothing radically different from what we already hear in other accounts. But this is somebody who's writing this very colloquially. You can read their handwriting. You can see it. You can see they've added some a little couple of little bit of notes in and bits. Um, and there's a bit of a page part of the page missing. So again, we have a slightly different account that's from somebody's recollection of what Joe Smith had said to them. So that's really it. There isn't that much different. You just get some slight subtle differences in some of the content or the way in which the events are portrayed. So uh, are the events portrayed as having God the Father and Jesus Christ appearing at the same time? Or does one say, this is my beloved son, hear him, and then he appears upon that point, which would actually make a lot more sense, right? Uh, do they both stay and talk to him the whole time? Or is Joseph Smith just left speaking to Jesus Christ? That's something that if you just read it one way, you might make some assumptions. If you just look at a picture from church history with, uh, you know, Joseph Smith in the uh, grove of trees with two personages, you might think that, that one little snapshot of that moment represents all of it. Actually, part of the benefit of considering the additional accounts of the first vision given by Joseph Smith is to question and challenge your assumptions. Because often when we get frightened or concerned when there's a, a new piece of information or something we don't know, the consternation actually comes from the fact that we've made some assumptions, haven't really asked the question or done our homework, and then feel like the rug's been pulled out from underneath us when it's a rug of our own making because we've just taken it for granted, certain certain things, certain facts, certain historical and cultural uh, context. And I think the great thing about this course in church history is that as we begin to question our assumptions and really see texts and source materials for what they are and interrogate them a little bit and understand what their purpose was and who their audience was, then we begin to understand what they mean and why they're important, rather than simply going, oh no, there's a slightly different version out there five years later, as if that is a significant issue. Okay, that's it for now. Have a look at that josephsmithpapers.org. Have a read yourself. You'll probably find after the first couple that you'll, like me, you'll go, yeah, basically the same thing. Not a major issue. But it's okay to ask the question. All right, bye for now. Thank you.